Heather, you're going to be leading worship there. Is that true? Yeah. So who cares about the guest speaker? We got you and the nationally acclaimed and globally renowned Heather Nunn and her sister. I'm just saying it. I'm just saying that because it should be. And so I'm saying it in Jesus name. So good morning, everybody. So if you're uh, visiting here today, my name is John. I'm the uh, lead pastor here at the, at the gathering place. And you can fill out uh, your guest card and drop it off at the table outside. We have a gift for you. It's great to have you here. Let's get into the word of God this morning, family. Jesus, we thank you so much. You are speaking to us today. Your voice is loud and clear. It's unambiguous. It's definite. And it's full of love and power and purpose. We love you, Jesus. Speak to us today. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for filling this house. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for opening up our ears and our eyes and our hearts, the voice of Jesus. We love you in this house, God. Thank you for your word that speaks so powerfully to us. In Jesus' name. Let's go to the book of Luke chapter 11. Uh, last week, I didn't get to finish my teaching, so I'm going to do it today. And this will be the last message of our 3030. For those of you who don't know what the 3030 is, uh, almost 60 days ago, uh, we decided that we were going to pray together as a congregation 30 minutes a day for 30 days, everybody. And we have got some great testimonies. Listen to some of these uh, testimonies that have been coming in. Uh, Shelly Cowpersmith, who's had major dental issues, says... I've experienced many dental surgeries, but nothing like the one I, that I had during the 30 for 30. I knew my prayer partners were praying as I felt the four and a half hours in the dental chair was more like a worship conference than being at the dentist. This 30 for 30 has brought the level of prayer breakthrough to a whole new level. God is good to us. I thought she was kidding when she said that to me on the telephone. But she said, no, I mean, she's been through murderous uh, Dental surgeries. I'm sorry, I just saw Emily. I, haven't, did you, I Facebooked you this week. You didn't Facebook? You did? Oh, I didn't see it. I was like all hurt for like days. Good to see you, girl. And uh, so when she told me that it was like a worship conference, I, I thought she was just kidding. Listen to this one. This is anonymous. I've been praying about a certain situation for years and years. I'll put that S in there. And during this 30 30. Um, I've been praying for years and years for something, and I've been sharing with my prayer partner during this 3030 at my connect group, and I have a breakthrough that I've never dreamed would be possible. First, God started changing me as we prayed together, and how he has changed the situation is remarkable. Thank you, Lord. Uh, Joel Peavy says that 3030 has really made for some fantastic growth in my dialogue with God and growth in my life. Spending time in the Bible and praying for 30 minutes every morning has actually changed what my attitude and demeanor is for the day. That's key. In a way I never expected it would. But the problems and issues I have to deal with and how I react to them has totally changed. It's difficult to put into words, but there's a sense of peace that I wouldn't have otherwise. I know it's due to this time spent with God because there's a big difference when I miss my 30 minutes and when I don't. I know you couldn't write that. Unless you were praying, because I, I, I know exactly what you're talking about. You can't get that without experience. I also found that when I first started, I felt a little dry, a little intimidated, that I didn't have much to say to God. I felt like my prayers were simply trying to find something to say. As the days went on, I found I had more to say, more thanks to give to God, and more healings 
of my family and friends to pray for and so on. Sometimes my prayers got fervent. Uh Oh, watch out. And I felt a real connection with God that he was right there listening. This is one of my uh, and this one one morning while I was praying this is a different person. I started praying in my prayer language. Then all of a sudden I got this vision in my head of angels all in a line in front of me. And as I was speaking in this incoherent to me prayer language, they were one by one looking and listening to me and then leaving as though they were being dispatched to follow the prayers ordered I was giving them. I was pretty much amazed and in awe at that point, And to be quite honest, I still am. I love it and I want more. 30-30 is no longer 30-30 for me. It's more like 30 forever. Did you say that was you too? That whole thing was you? You're getting too much. So that was you? That was, that was, wow. That's awesome. If I don't read yours, don't be offended. I can't read everybody's. Um, another one, uh, Mary Paplava talking about breakthroughs in her family she has not seen in a long time. And, uh, and um, strongholds being broken. Uh, Amy Hendry says after, uh, she, Amy Hendry gave this, this testimony of how, uh, I'll paraphrase because I love the end of it. She uh, she had this issue with her mechanic. She felt like she was being way overcharged for something that wasn't a responsibility. She felt very intimidated as someone that's not the professional, but she knew it just wasn't right. She she doesn't like confrontation, and so she decided, I'm in 30-30. I'm going to take this to God. And uh, she said as she was praying, God gave her a phrase that just stopped her in her tracks. Told her exactly what to say to the mechanic. So she called the mechanic. They got into conversation, and every time he'd come back, she said, all I did was stick to that one phrase. That's a smart girl. Just stick with what God gave you. And by the end of it, not only did she not pay the few thousand dollars, but they paid her $500. Yeah, what's the phrase? But, yeah, what's the magic phrase? you got to go get your own phrase from God. You can't be stealing somebody else's 30-30. No, you got to go get your own food from the chef. In fact, I started this whole 30-30 thing just to get Mark to start praying. I thought it'd be good if the associate pastor of the church would pray, too. She said, I had not thought to ask God for help with a down payment, but he heard me when I was troubled and used his answer to bring resources he knew I would need. The best part of this experience for me was hearing his voice. I wonder how many times he has spoken to me that I may have missed or all the times I've missed asking. It's amazing to feel the presence of the living God. Then this is what she said. I used to like the phrase, what would Jesus do? But now I think trying to deduce what God would do is limiting. Why not ask him? His answers are surprising, relieving and bring great joy and intimacy. Isn't that great? Rather than what would Jesus do? How about I ask him what he wants me to do right now? So, in the book of Luke, in chapter 11, uh, starting with verse 1, Now it came to pass, as he was praying in a certain place, when he sees that, no, not, that one of his disciples, one of his disciples came to him and said, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. So Jesus is teaching them how to pray the way Jesus himself prayed when he was in the earth. First of all, Jesus prayed. That tells you if the Son of God prays, maybe the sons and daughters of God should also pray. So he said to them, not should, but we ought to because it will transform our lives and release heaven on earth. So I don't say should like in a legalistic way, but in a smart way. So he said to them, when you pray, say, everybody say our, 
our Father in heaven, holy be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone indebted to us. And lead and do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. The first thing I want to say is, uh, this is just a recap, yet last week very briefly, and then we're going to punch the main point. This week I started praying that corporate prayer. I always pray for you guys, but I started to pray the Lord's Prayer with a we instead of me. How many of you started doing that this week? I asked you to do that. One. Okay. Two. All right. Great. Three. Four. All right. Great. We're in revival. Now, this is the last time I'm going to say this piece just for right now. But I think this is a real paradigm shift that we all need to buy into. When I was sitting in my prayer chair and I said, Father, um, give us this day our daily bread. I was thinking about you guys. I felt like now we, the four of us and me that raised our hands, (laughs) are praying with a mentality of a faith community. And we are praying us prayers And I believe that that corporate praying is why we've been seeing breakthroughs that some have not seen for years. Some of the testimonies we've been seeing. I truly believe that a corporate faith brings a corporate blessing. I believe more so that if corporate praying were to increase, we would get more corporate blessings. I'm going to challenge you this week to start praying the Lord's Prayer using the us, the our, and the we. And when you say the we, you say, well, what we am I talking about? Your faith family. Let's begin praying as the gathering place church for God's blessings to be poured into us. I pray that you begin having a corporate identity. That's the way Jesus prayed. He prayed we, us, and our prayers. He wasn't praying solo prayers. So this week I'm going to ask you one more time. To This is how I want, I want you to pray this week. Pray for others first, then yourself. You're going to find a, you're going to find a paradigm shift. You're going to catch yourself. Realizing how much you pray for yourself then maybe for others. Pray for others first. That's why in the prayer, your kingdom come, your will be done in the earth as it is in heaven. So that means you're praying outward. Then give us or give me and us this day my daily bread, our daily bread. So I'm going to ask you to pray for others first and then for yourself second. So having said that, I want to move forward into this friend's prayers for his friend. Let's go ahead and read in verse 5. Moving forward, Jesus expounds on the Lord's Prayer with the we, us, our mentality. And he said to them in verse 5, Which of you shall have a friend and go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine has come to me on this journey, his journey, and I have nothing to set before him. Who's this prayer? Jesus is expounding on how to pray. Who is this friend praying for? Himself to get bread? This friend is praying for another friend to get bread. So Jesus is expanding our prayer circumference to pray for one another. Isn't this powerful? And he will answer from within and say, do not trouble me. The door is now shut and my children are with me in bed. I cannot rise and give to you. I say to you, though, he will not rise and give to him because he is his friend. Yet because of his persistence, 
he will rise and give him as many as he needs. So I say to you, ask, it will be given to you. Seek, you will find. Knock, it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. He who seeks finds him. Who knocks, it will be opened. If a son asks for bread from any father among you, will he give him a stone? If he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent instead of a fish? I'm going fast because of our time limit. So I hope you can catch up to me. Or if he asks for an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more? Everybody say, how much more? How much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? So, I wanted to do this quick introduction to reiterate this us concept. Jesus, we, say, he, we said, teach us to pray the way you pray. Jesus said, okay, I pray for others. Then he teaches us how to go get stuff for one another. What a wonderful community that, I don't, I don't want to say would be because we are that way. I'm talking about increasing. To have a corporate mentality where we are going after things for each other. I love how many people pray for me. I feel so insulated, so protected, so uh, provided for. I know that I'm prayed for. Just Man, it's powerful. You can't do this solo. And you weren't designed to do it solo. The church is not designed for people to be walking solo. It's supposed to be corporate. And this prayer model right here proves it. Now, we looked at the three things that caused this friend's prayers to be so powerful and getting as much as his friend needed. And we looked at the first two last week. I'm going to look at the third one this week because I stopped last week because we ran out of time. It was just too good. The third part of this guy's prayer, the third characteristic, which is the key to shaking heaven and shaking it until all of heaven's resources fall into the earth, is the word relentless. You've got to decide as an intercessor, as a prayer, as a believer, you are going to be relentless. Just think about your children. How many times do you have to say no until you finally give in? Yeah, you know what my wife says to me when they do that? And I say, all right. She goes, goosh. <laughs> goosh. Your ch- children, when they want something, man, they just hit you 50 different ways, right? They just go, 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 go. They're just relentless. And this is what God is saying. This is what Jesus is teaching right here. You've got to be Relentless. Don't give up until it happens. And if you get caught praying when you die and enter heaven, that's a good way to enter heaven. Asking Jesus and all of a sudden you're standing in front of him. And then you get everything, a whole kingdom. Relentlessness is an attitude that gets more than any other attitude. So I want to teach on relentlessness today, being relentless in prayer, so that you can see that this is a critical key component to answered prayer. Most prayers don't get answered immediately. We have to have an understanding of how resources are released into the earth. You can't quit it until you get it.
But what happens with our sin nature? Understanding what I just said. Let's take the relentless piece. What I just said. I need to hit something here that is so critical for our thinking. When we talk about be relentless, we think that means because God is reluctant. And man, I want to give that a death blow today. That is not what being relentless is about. But that's what we almost all of us deduce. I have to be relentless because God really doesn't want to be good to me. He really does not want to give me what I want or what I need. So I have to bug him until I can finally persuade him to give me what I really need. That's that I believe is our mentality so much. So I believe that's our mentality that we interpret passages like this one we just read and another parable of what's called the persistent widow or the unjust judge parable where a widow goes to an unjust judge and she pesters him and pesters him and pesters him for justice until she gets justice. We take that parable of the persistent widow and the unjust judge and this parable of the reluctant friend and we deduce that God is like the unjust judge and the reluctant friend. Therefore, we need to bug him till we get what we want. Isn't that true? And do you know what? I have got to tell you today. That is the exact opposite of what Jesus is teaching about God. Let me put it this way. How many of you, if you had a friend, a friend, And you went to their house at midnight and banged on the door and said, hey, I've got a friend in need. Please, I need some bread. If you had a friend who would lay in bed and say to you, no, I'm sleeping. Leave me alone. Go away. How many of you would decide I need to get new friends? That's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, how many of you would have a friend like this? The answer is, hopefully nobody. That's his point. Listen, there are two kinds of parables in the Bible. One are parables of comparison. God is like the perfect father. God loves you like a nursing mother loves her child. That's a parable of comparison. Then there are parables of contrast. God is not like a friend who will not get out of bed because he'd rather sleep than help you. And we have been interpreting this as a parable of comparison. God is like a friend that does not want to help you. Can you believe we've done that? That's horrible. Jesus is like, no, that's not what I was teaching. He's probably up in heaven going, God, can I go back down there and reteach it? Those idiots. I mean, he even said, look. You guys are evil. And when your kids get up in the morning and say, can I have some cereal? You say, no, but you can have a bowl of rocks. He's saying, would you do that? No, no, I wouldn't do that. Why are you you saying I would do that to you? I'm not like the reluctant friend. And I'm, God forbid, that God would forbid, that he would be like the unjust judge? How could we interpret that that unjust judge who didn't fear God or man was a parable of comparison that God is like that. <laughs> yeah, that, that, that's, that's God. He's unjust. Just like that judge. That wouldn't help the widow. 
what's the matter with us? It's our, I, this is what I believe. I believe that our sin-based theology, I believe our sin-based theology, if it, is that way forward in my notes? I'm going to say it anyway. I believe that it is our sin-based theology that focuses on our badness rather than on God's goodness. It's what causes us to read parables like that and interpret them upside down. Isn't that amazing that we could do that? So that's why so many of us grovel when we go to God. Could you imagine if you're standing out here on the front patio of this church and you see a, a four, five, six, seven-year-old come up to a parent and groveling out there? Ma, 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 dad, can I, can I talk to you just, just for a minute, please? Just for You'd think, what the heck is going on in their home? I'd be dialing CPS. That child's going home with me because I don't know what you got going on. But they're acting so afraid of you, and yet that's what we do with God. I know it is. <laughs> Jesus is trying. Jesus, the reason Jesus is telling these parables is because he knows that's the way we view God. And as a good shepherd and a great teacher, he's trying to undo our shame-based mentality. But our evangelical total depravity teaching, which is true, has not helped us when we don't emphasize the goodness of God more than the badness of man. Most of us here, all of sinful, you heard this verse, right? I mean, the way this is preached so often. Here's just one example. We've, we've, all, we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. You've all heard that, right? There's not a period there. But in our sin consciousness, we put a period there. That's not the end of the sentence. It says, we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, but through the righteousness of Christ, we have all been made righteous. The free gift of God. Another one. I'm just a sinner saved by grace. No, no, no. Don't insult Jesus like that. You were a sinner. You've been saved by grace. Now you're a child of God. Yes, you may sin. But listen, I jog every once in a while, like once every six months. That does not make me a jogger. Just because I periodically sin does not make me a sinner. I am a saint, a one set apart by God for God's purposes. And so are you. If you are in Christ Jesus, we have to understand our identity and we have to understand the goodness of God. And that's what Jesus is trying to do in this situation. Do you know that? In fact, well, let me look at this. Look at this passage. This these kind of scriptures are my favorite scriptures in the Bible. Look at Romans eight thirty two. Since he did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us all, won't he also freely give us everything else? Think about it. He gave us his son, but no, you can't have those cookies. Because those are valuable to me. Isn't that amazing? He pours out the blood of his son and we still think that he's a withholder. Who's 
telling us that? The same blockhead, no, I won't say that, you're not allowed. The same liar, that's biblical, I can say that. The same liar who told Adam and Eve that in the garden. That God is withholding something from you. You could become gods if you would just live independently from God. And he knows that. He's withholding greater things from you. Let me show you the goodness of God. Man, my time's running out. Jesus, help me. Ha. Okay, I'm not going to read that scripture. I'm just going to quote it to you because it will save time. And then we're going to move into this reluctance piece. In the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 6 and 7, talking about the goodness of God. See, I, 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 I want to talk about reluctance. I, mean, I, want, I want to talk about relentlessness. But we have to understand the goodness of God or our relentlessness, we will think, has to do with overcoming God's reluctancy. And it's not. So we need, but we need to have a theological foundation of God's goodness for us even to get to the right place. And so I start teaching on God's goodness and we're, we could be here for the next six months. So I just want to touch on it. And it's hard just to touch on the goodness of God. But I want to talk about being relentless mainly. But so let's talk about the goodness of God. <laughs> So on the goodness of God peace, listen, in the book of Deuteronomy chapter 6 to 7, God says this to his people. When you go in to live in cities that you did not build and eat from vineyards you did not plant and live in houses that you did not build, remember that I'm the one that did it and don't forget me. How good is that? You get a house you didn't build, cities you didn't build, vineyards you didn't grow yourself, which I'm going to give them all to you. Reminds me of the house of Hope and I are getting. They built it. He built his wife's dream house. Six bedrooms. It's for six children. He built it for six children with a special needs wheelchair access. The whole thing was built for us. It's giving you a house you did not build. I mean, that scripture is so relevant to us. Hope is so overwhelmed right now with all sorts of emotions. Because it's so beyond us. So much we don't deserve, so much we didn't earn, so much we didn't even ask for. Just God gave my wife the desires of her heart because he's good. But then he says, let me tell you why I did it in Deuteronomy chapter 7. I should have read the scripture. In Deuteronomy chapter 7, he says, but let me tell you why I'm doing this. Because you guys just blow heaven away. Because you are so amazing. We are all so impressed with you up here. We just can't wait until you get here. That's why we're doing this for you. Because you are all that. No. God said to Israel, let me explain. Let me tell you why I'm giving you these cities and these vineyards and these houses. Not because you are greater in number than all of the other nations around you. Because actually you're the smallest. Because back then, having the greatest number meant you were the most powerful. Well, it can still. But it meant that you and the social echelon are the tippy top. And God says, listen, Israel, I'm not giving you all this stuff. Because you are all that. I'm giving you all this stuff because, and it says it right in the passage, I love you. That's why I always say, just let God love you anyway. You get more stuff. (laughs) Spiritually, emotionally, physically, materially. Just let God love you. Just let him love you. I mean, that's a real big theological point with me and my kids and my family. 
I just believe God loves me more than anybody. You know that's true, don't you? She says he loves me more. My son was driving with Heather one time and her kids in the van when he was like five or six. And she was teaching him how to hear the voice of God. She goes, as we're driving, let's learn to hear the voice of God. And so everybody got quiet and Elliot goes, I just heard God. And she said, what did he say? He said, he loves me more than anybody else. And she's like, that is John's son. That's just when you open yourself up to the love of God, that's the way he makes you feel. I'm not saying it's true. It's just the way you feel when you truly connect with it. You're like, my gosh, I'm so special to God. You see, that's that sin-based theology that is destroyed by God's goodness theology. His goodness overwhelms our badness until you just start realizing God really loves me. And then he just shows you how much he loves you by just his goodness. So that's a piece of the goodness theology. What does persistent mean? Because this is the key to these passages, which I finally got to. Overboldness, shamelessness, and unapologetic. Now, that's how you can be like that. You can be overbold, shameless, and unapologetic when you have a goodness of God theology working in you. Do you get it? People who have a sin-based theology and think, oh my God, I'm not worthy. I can't approach God. Would never imagine being shameless, overbold, or unapologetic with God. You see, being bold with God doesn't say something about you. It says something about him, that he's approachable, that he's so good that he would allow you to come boldly to the throne of grace. The book of Hebrews says, I just spit on you. <laughs> when I was a youth pastor, the whole front row was like being at SeaWorld, like Shamu's preaching. I've learned to control most of my spittle, but not all of it. It's anointed. She probably just got healed. I'm going to come spit on Mark. (laughs) You left your wife? Unbelievable. No, she's not moving anywhere. She knows where the good stuff is. Being bold with God talks more about what who God is than who we are. You look at Moses and God's interactions. It's like places, you know, that no man dares tread. Moses. God says, I'm going to wipe him out. Moses says, no, you're not. <laughs> Whoa, Moses, pull back, man. <laughs> oh, my God. He says, no, you're not going to do that because all the nations are going to say you're a weak God. You know what that do you? And the boldness between Moses and God is just, I mean, I want to like move the Bible farther from me while I read it. Because it's just like, you can't talk to God like that. But when you know there's a friendship and you understand that God is good, then you don't have fear. And you can be honest and bold with him and straight up with him. And he loves it. It's a healthy relationship. Not disrespectful. That's different than being confident in your daddy or your mommy's presence. It, it, It communicates health. This is good stuff. I just want to say that. This is, this is good stuff. I didn't come up with it. That's how I can say it. But Moses did call himself the most humble man on earth. So, no, I'm not going to do that. Because I'm not. But that stuff, that theology is good. So Jesus 
begins the parable regarding persistence with the, the, he began the parable with a persistent widow, the unjust judge, with this phrase. Men ought always to pray. It says he, he told them he told them this parable by saying men ought always to pray. Say always to pray. Say I ought always to pray. And not lose heart. Say it. And not lose heart. Jesus taught this parable, and it says at the beginning of the parable, he taught them this parable to, to tell them that we ought always to pray and not lose heart. That means Jesus knows sometimes it's going to take a long time for the prayers to come to pass. And then after he teaches the parable, you know, he ends the parable with this scripture. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he really find faith on the earth? So what was Jesus' definition of faith? Persistence. True faith is the person that believes and won't pray, won't quit praying until it happens. And what enables us to be persistent, what creates this? Two basic beliefs. God won't withhold on you and God will only give you good things. Amen. In fact, in Matthew's parable about um, Asik Nock, he ends it with, rather than saying how much more would the Holy Spirit, God give the Holy Spirit, he ends it with how much more would God give you good things. Jesus is teaching goodness theology so that we would learn to be persistent. He was also expectant. To be expectant, because you'll be expectant if you know God's good, you're going to expect good things. The word expectant, he was knocking on the door expecting his friend to get up and give him what he needed. He expected good things. He didn't expect a a rock or serpent or scorpion. He expected bread. So he's knocking persistent and expectant. Persistent and expectant. Jesus is saying you need to be persistent and expectant with God because he, how much more does he want to give to you? And he will give you good things. Expectant means to be excitedly anticipating something and expecting something favorable. There are three reasons why it takes so long sometimes, and I can't teach these out. I'm just going to say them, and I'm going to ask Mark to tell a story from his own life about persistence that is just so remarkable. He shared it in our staff meeting this week, and I said that would fit perfectly into Sunday's sermon. We have just scratched the surface on this today, but I pray that this really locks in to your prayer life, being persistent. But you might say, okay, then why does it take so long sometimes if it's not that God is reluctant. Would you say this out loud with me? God is not reluctant to give me good things. Because some of you didn't say it, so we've got to start over. Say this. God is not reluctant to give me good things. You're going to say it again and believe it. Ready? God is not reluctant to give me good things. Say, He's a good dad. He's my dad. And he happens to be God. Yeah. <laughs> Amen. Woo! Yeah. Oh, my goodness. I love you all so much as your pastor. I just want to keep teaching this until I can yank all that stuff out of you so you can just be childlike with God and expect good things. 
But why does it take so long sometimes? Three things, and I can't teach, but I'll just tell you. Number one, satanic opposition. Daniel prayed 21 days. The angel shows up and says, hey, buddy, dude, from the first day you started praying, God sent me. But I ran into the prince of Persia, a demon, a principality. And, man, we have been duking it out. I finally had to call Michael, the archangel, to come blow a hole in the front line so I could come to you. But, you know, Daniel's going, why isn't God answering me? And if he had sin-based theology, he'd be like, yeah, because I'm so unworthy. <laughs> no, the moment Daniel started praying, God sent an angel. But Satan opposed him for 21 days. Sometimes the reason you have to be persistent isn't because God's reluctant, but because Satan is nasty. And he doesn't want the goodness of heaven to be invading your life. So you've got to keep praying and praying and praying because your prayers release angelic activity. Isn't that interesting that your vision fit right into this teaching today? I mean, if you're not praying, your angels are just sitting around their house, you know, filing their nails, I guess. And I'm not kidding. That was a profound vision you had that should last, live with you for the rest of your life. Secondly is God's timing. Have you noticed yet that your and God's timing are not the same? Ours is much faster. (laughs) Drive-through Christianity. I want it now, 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 now. And let me say something to you parents. I'm going to have a parenting moment. If you do not let your children learn to live with disappointment and you give them everything they want, you are ruining them. If you can't be strong enough to let your children be disappointed because you won't let them have something, you are causing their character to not even begin to be developed. Delayed gratification is critical, not only in life, but in their walk with God. If you cave in on everything they want, they're going to have a hugely disappointing experience when they start relating to God. Because guess what? He won't give in. He's tough. Because he knows his timing is better than ours. So you've got to train your children about delayed gratification and living with disappointment. So they can learn how to relate to God. And let God lead rather than them lead God. Because he's not going to let them lead him. He's going to lead. So the home is the training environment for walking with God. Can I hear a loud amen? Amen. All right. God's timing. Habakkuk chapter 2, which we don't have time to read. Uh, He says, write it down. The vision's for an appointed time. Thirdly is your personal development. God is more interested in your character than in your comfort. Exactly. All you do is read the Bible and you're going to see sometimes years between the prayer being prayed, the act of obedience, and then the manifestation of the promise. I was talking to someone last night about tithing. And they were saying, well, we tried it. It didn't work. Now, listen. Listen, some of you may have that experience. I know it sounds, you can laugh at that, but I, I'm not, I don't want to laugh. Because to step out to begin tithing is already a fearful proposition. Because, you know, you're testing God. And it's the only place you're allowed to test Him. And you've got to pay bills. And it's, you know. You, but here's the thing. What I was sharing with them was, listen. When I started tithing, within two weeks, everything turned around. But then it flipped back around. For months, it looked like we weren't going to make it. 
But see, Mark chapter four says when the word is sown, Satan comes when immediately to try to steal the word out of you. So it's very important you understand that fundamental doctrine that when you step out, God will confirm it. And then Satan will challenge it, challenge it and make everything else look opposite. And that is the time of testing. And that is when you got to say, I believe it. Because the word of God says it, no matter what the circumstances say, period, the end. And you have to say that every day to yourself until the manifestation comes and you bear fruit with endurance. I want to end this teaching with a uh, illustration from Mark about how his grandma had that mentality, which is why Mark is not in hell right now. Would you come on up and share your story? Anyway, uh, you know how... We do baby dedications and we prophesy over the babies. When I was a baby, a prophecy was given over me. And it was that I would spend many years in the desert wandering away from God and then eventually return to him, serve him and do great things. Well, my grandmother was there or heard about that prophecy. And she set about praying for me every day. And when I was about, oh, I don't know, maybe 16 14, 15, 16, I rebelled. I just, I was raised in a sin-based theology church. It was always what you shouldn't do. Nobody ever said what you should do. It was always negative. And so I just blew it off. I just basically said, to hell with church and Christianity and God. So I was about 16, 17, doing the whole hippie thing, just, just going crazy with drugs and everything else. And... I saw my grandmother, one of the trips to the coast, and she said, you know, I pray for you every day. And I said, I, I, I know, Granny. She said, no, I pray for you every day. Have been all your life. Yeah, yeah, I know. And then she said something to me. She said, you know, if your life is ever going to have the purpose that you need, you must come to peace with God. I blew her off. Just more of. Granny's a holy lady. She doesn't know what I really am. So that's nice that she feels that way. So life goes on, and I get to be 28, and I have this like existential crisis. To, I don't know how else to put it. I had accomplished all of my dreams in my work, and my life was empty and purposeless. It was a crisis of purpose and meaning. And I, I was just beside I started to think about suicide. I had ex- achieved everything I thought mattered. Nothing. It was not important. I was literally thinking about suicide. And I thought about what she'd said to me when I was 16. If your life is ever going to have the meaning, the purpose that you need, you must come to peace with God. Well, I hated the church so much, I wouldn't go. So... Thank God that he makes provision outside of the box. There was a connect group of people that just met my age. They, they weren't associated with any church. They were just meeting. And I went there. And uh, long story short, I came back to the Lord, which was amazing. I call my dad to tell him the good news. This is now 28 years later. I call my dad and I say, hey, um, God's become real to me. And it's all good. And I've returned to him. 
I had the passion to serve him like crazy. And I said, tell Granny, tell Granny what's happened. And he said, oh, he said, you, uh, he said, I did, I should have called you. She was 92 years old. He said, uh, I should have called you. She uh, tripped and broke her hip. And she's in the hospital and she's not expected to live. I said, well, when are you going to see her? And he said, well, I'll see her tonight. I said, look, just tell her that I've returned to the Lord. He went that night. She couldn't speak, but she could hear and she could hold his hand. And he told her the story and she got real excited. And she died the next day. She prayed every day. One time my dad said to her, how long do you want to live? This is when she was in her early 80s. She lived to be 92. Dad said, how long do you want to live? And she said, until my prayers have been answered. And he said, what's your list? And so she told him, I'm waiting for this, this, and this, and this. Well, sometime later, he said, Granny, that list, it's all been fulfilled. You can die now. And she said, oh, no, I've added more to the list. <laughs> oh, that's great, man. So the word today is don't quit. I bless you in the name of Jesus. I pray your connect groups this week that you guys will pray for one another. I pray in your 3030 this week that you pray for others first, us and we in our prayers. And I pray God's goodness will become your foundation in Jesus name. If you need more prayer, come down front. God bless you.